Welcome to Daily Grace. We believe that the Bible is true, trustworthy, and timeless. And we want to help women like you know and love God's Word. The Bible shows us who God is, and who He is changes everything. My name is Joanna. And I'm Stephanie. Come join us as we chat about the truth of God's Word in our everyday lives. Today we are talking about the big picture of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, there is a unified narrative that all points to Jesus. Understanding this will change the way you approach the Word of God and enrich your study, and you'll even be engaging in biblical theology. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome back, everyone. It's Joanna here, and I'm here with my co-host, Stephanie. Hello. We're actually really excited because we are recording in person today. Crazy. Which is super fun because <laughs> we normally record over Skype calls. So this is a fun little treat for us today. Yeah. So we thought that it would be really fun to start out each of our episodes by talking about a highlight from the week, like a favorite thing. So whether that is something fun that we did or some product that we love or whatever. But we just want to be able to share with all of you some of the things that we are loving right now. So, Stephanie, what was your favorite thing from this week? I don't know if I would say I have a favorite thing, but I'm just excited to, you know, start off January. I love, you know, starting off a new year. And we finally got back into the rhythm of like school and drop off and pick up and stuff. So I am just loving um rhythms and going mm. back to um, kind of having that for our family. So it's yeah, not a thing. I can see that but... organized personality coming out, delighting in rhythms. Yes. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> so my favorite thing from this week was that we actually got to spend some time with some friends from church. Um, my husband and I went on a double date with another Ooh. couple and it was really fun. Um, we got to go to this restaurant that we love here in our hometown called Salt Factory. And we always love to get like appetizers because they have the best appetizers. So we share a whole bunch of different stuff. Ooh, but yum. it was so good. And it was one of those things where you think that you've been hanging out for an hour. And then we looked at the time. We had been there for four hours. Wow. Yeah, just talking and catching up. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to find time to do all that, especially with a toddler and just the busyness of life. So it was really nice and refreshing to have a babysitter, go hang out with some friends and eat some really good food. That's like a mark of a true friendship when time mm -hmm. just flies by. Yes, so exactly. Good. So today we're really excited to be talking about the big picture of Scripture, the overarching story of the Bible. And you may have heard a word floating around there to describe this big story, and it's what we call the meta-narrative of Scripture. So it's the storyline of the Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And there's a unified narrative. It's this overarching story that goes across the entire Bible. And it has these four major plot movements. And they are creation, fall, 
redemption, and restoration or consummation. And we're going to talk about each one of these movements, each one of these themes today. And you know, this might seem like, hey, why why do we need to know these things? But knowing these themes are really helpful because they actually encapsulate the central message of the Bible. And I think that you'll find, like we have, that identifying these themes in a scripture can really give you deeper insight into the different biblical texts that you may be studying. Right. We're going to talk about how this unified narrative, like Joanna said, from Genesis to Revelation is actually all about Jesus. We're going to see what it means when we say that the Bible story is actually one story that finds its amen in Jesus. And that comes from 2 Corinthians 1.20, which says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Mm-hmm. So that's saying every passage of the Old Testament and every prophecy was pointing to Jesus. And just as a little disclaimer here, I teared up so many times while I was preparing <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> so just be prepared to be in awe of who our God is and how he works. Yes. But before we go into kind of the meat of our conversation, let's get a little personal. And I wanted to do this just in case there are listeners out there who, like me, grew up in the church with ample exposure to the Bible, but never really realized that there was a unifying narrative to the Bible and never really noticed that every book of the Bible ultimately points us to Jesus. So Joanna, start us off. When did you first realize that there was this thing called a meta narrative of scripture or a unified storyline in the Bible that all points to Christ? Yeah, it's actually kind of crazy how long it took. You know, I have talked about, you know, I grew up in the church, um, but, you know, I heard all of these Bible stories and I could tell you a lot of different Bible stories, but I never actually thought about how they all fit together. And, you know, it wasn't until probably a few years ago that I first heard this term. Yeah. Um, and I think that the first time I heard it, I was trying to remember back, when did I first hear it? I think it was when I read Jen Wilkins' book, mm-hmm. um, Women of the Word. Yeah. And she talks about seeing this big story and how to study the Bible in light of that big story. And, you know, it really transformed the way that I viewed scripture. Um, you know, before this, I was never really drawn to the Old Testament. I would kind of read it and didn't really know what to do with it, you know? And um, I will say that once I read about this for the first time, it's like my eyes were opened and this whole new world opened up. What about you, Stephanie? When did you first become familiar with this idea? Again, I think it's so similar. Um, I grew up in the church, like I said, and I was never really taught how to study the Bible for myself. But whenever I did study a book. It was very random and every Mm. book was very disjointed. Um, All of our Sunday school lessons, whatever the Bible stories were taught, it was really to encourage morality and Mm. really didn't point to the redemptive work of Christ. And an example of this is like the famous David and Goliath, right? Right. We we talked to our kids about it and how David is this amazing hero and he was so brave and took down the giant with some stones. Right. Really, if you if we want to look at it with this um, redemptive history kind of in mind, it's saying no, David was the imperfect hero, and there right. and how he's per- pointing to the perfect hero of Jesus coming. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, Jen Wilkins' book was really pivotal in my walk too, and I think for me it was because she showed me that 
the Bible is about God and not mm-hmm. about me. And like you said, that transformed how I approached the word and read the r- word. And really, like you said as well, like my spiritual eyes were open and I was able to actually um, see Christ in the Old Testament and really enjoyed like reading Deuteronomy and those books yeah. that <laughs> we like to skip over. Like it really changed me. And I think it was also about the same time that I started reading the Jesus Storybook Bible to, uh, to my Eliana yes. um, five years ago and Oh my goodness, that is such a great little book that shows, it really points to Jesus from the very beginning. And you will find yourself, even as an adult, a seasoned believer, just being in awe of God, reading these little children's stories. And weeping. Yeah. Every time I read them out loud, my daughter's kind of looking at me like, what are you doing? Because I'm just choking up. up. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's so interesting because you're talking about seeing Christ in the Old Testament. And you know, growing up, I was taught that like there are these passages that mm-hmm. point to Jesus. You right, know, the like, prophecies. Right, and- Isaiah 53 talks yeah. about Jesus, you know. And so I knew he was there, but I didn't know he was on every page. Yeah. And that was like so eye-opening. Like, wait, you're telling me that every story of the Bible is actually pointing me to Jesus. Jesus, and it just makes you understand it so much more. Right. We really just wanted to pause and kind of let you know our own experience with studying scripture and, you know, seeing this story for the first time. And we want that to be an encouragement to you. You know, we don't want you to think, oh gosh, I never realized this before, so I'm so far behind. Or, or, you know, um, I've been doing this all wrong. Um, The great thing is that once you see the story of scripture, it really is going to open it up in a brand new way to you. And, you know, maybe for you, you read the Old Testament and you are totally confused and you really just don't even know how to approach it. Maybe you kind of just like read it really quickly and then move on so you can say you read it, (laughs) but you're not captured by it. And so we hope that, you know, you will see that you know, that was us too. Yeah. We were there. Um, and it really is once we realized the beautiful story that God's painting throughout all of scripture and all of history, really, yeah. that you begin to love those parts of God's word and want to seek them out. So um, we're going to be talking through these different plot movements. And we hope that this will be an encouragement to you and change the way that you approach scripture as well. Okay. So let's jump right in. So the first, um, kind of plot movement we're going to say is creation. Um, And this is kind of the meat of today's topic. And I think it's just really good to know because you'll hear people spout this progression off like, oh, it's creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Um, But what does that really mean? Why are they spouting this off? And really, it's just a good like tool to outline the overall story of scripture. Right. And like Joanna said earlier, it's important to understand because it really helps us understand who God is and how he works. And it really shows his plan of redemption through the ages. Yeah. So we see the story of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, the very first chapters of the Bible. And, you know, the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is how it all begins. The God who existed eternally now comes and he creates something out of nothing. Mm. And later in that chapter, we see that he, after he has created the world and he's created water and the sun and the stars and plants and animals, we come to Genesis 1.27 and it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
male and female, he created them. And what we see throughout this chapter is that God sees his creation and he calls it good. And after he creates man and woman, he looks at all of his creation. And Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And so we see this picture, this creation that God made that is beautiful and it is without flaw and it is this wonderful place to be. And the most incredible part about it is that God actually lived with people Mm -hmm. in the garden. God dwelled with man. He walked with them. And, you know, this garden is part of what he created where, where Adam and Eve, the first man and first woman, lived. And so we have this picture of this shalom peace in the garden. And, you know, this, this peace that we see coming up uh, in the Old Testament is this this peace with God, really, mm-hmm. um, this communion that we have with God, this relationship that we have with God, this undefiled relationship yeah. um, that is uninhibited. And this is what we see in God's creation. And, you know, as we look to Genesis 1 and 2, and we look throughout Scripture and see creation reflected, it points us to God, and it reminds us that everything started with Him, mm-hmm. and that our purpose in everything is to bring God glory. It's crazy, but just a few chapters later is the fall where sin is introduced Um So three chapters into this grand narrative, there's sin because Eve is tempted by the devil to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. And I love what Nancy Guthrie had to say of this. She says, in eating from the tree, Adam and Eve sought to become like God, to be dressed in the beauty and glory of God apart from God. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that the fruit was this poisonous thing, right? right? (laughs) The sin was actually that they disobeyed God and sought to become like God. Right. And, you know, how much do we do that? Yeah. (laughs) I know that I do that. Just a little side note here. I'm always struck by the fact that they were trying to be like God and specifically that they were desiring the knowledge that God has. Yeah. And this is something that, you know, I see when I look at Eve and I see that she saw that the fruit was desirable for wisdom Mm -hmm. and knowledge, I see myself Um, And I see myself as someone who wants to know how everything's going to work out, who wants to know God's whole plan. And if I don't know it, then I feel like it must be wrong. You know, I want to see the whole picture. I want to see how it works out. And I see myself as wanting to be like God instead of trusting that God holds all knowledge and that that is sufficient. Right. Because I was going to say it's really a lack of trust here because Mm – they were thinking that God was withholding from them. Right. Right. Because he knew more. And so it was a lack of trust in thinking that God was withholding good from them. Right. But this sin that we see in Genesis 3, you might hear it called original sin. Hmm. And this is when we talk about how human nature is sinful, that we are born into the world with a sinful nature due to the sin of Adam. Sin of Adam. Right. So we're actually talking about the Christian doctrine of original sin. And I want to jump to Genesis 8.21, which says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Hmm. And that word youth there is 
actually implying that it's from birth. It's not just what we consider youth like sixth grade to eighth grade right, youth yeah. group. <laughs> no, Jonathan Edwards actually remarks on this word youth and he says it signifies the whole of the former part of the age of man, which commences from the beginning of life. Mm. So not just childhood, but infancy and from birth and to con- from conception. And I think David says it really well in Psalm 51.5. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Or we all know Romans 3.23, which says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Mm -hmm. I know that this can be kind of hard for us to stomach, right? I know I've been in Bible studies where we've had ladies um, really be offended that they're infants. It's like, how can you call my baby a sinner? Right. And just to know that it's not personal in that sense, like to your child, but it is offensive and it's personal in the sense that we are all sinners and Mm. we all fall short um, before the glory of God. Um, So that is why our world is broken and we are, we're separated from God. Um, There's brokenness, there's tears, there's death, there's pain. And another quote that I just read last week that kind of um, states this well is, from R.C. Sproul, he says, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, as I hear you talking about, this can be hard to stomach. Yeah. You know, this is something that we don't really like to talk about very much. And even, I think sometimes even if we believe it, mm-hmm. we move on very quickly, don't we? Yeah. But I think that it is so important for us to really slow down yeah. and realize the depth of our sin. Yeah. Because I think that we really can't understand the good news of the gospel and we can't really rejoice in the good news of the gospel until we understand the bad what, news. Yeah, we have to see the bad news, yeah. right? How can we rejoice in salvation if we don't realize what we're being saved from? Right. And the great cost of that salvation. Exactly. And so, yeah, I think that even though it's hard to hear, when we understand it, there's greater joy there. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to miss out on that by skipping over it too quickly. Right. I agree. So as we come out of this idea of this fall, now we see redemption. And this is the climax of the story, right? The heartbeat of the gospel is redemption. And what do we mean by that? Well, redemption is that Jesus, who is the Son of God incarnate, right? The Son of God becomes Mm -hmm. man. He comes to the world as a baby, and he lives a perfect, sinless life. And this is the only human right, who has ever lived a sinless life. And he can do that because he's not only fully man, but he's also fully God. Right. So he lives this sinless life. And then he takes the penalty of our own sin, right? So scripture tells us that Christ takes our sin on himself. Mm -hmm. And then when he dies on the cross, he pays the penalty of our sin, which is death. And he raises to life, God raises him to life in victory over sin, in victory over death. And the reason for that is so that we could have his righteousness, right? In order to stand before God and in order to be acceptable before God, we have to be righteous. But the good news of redemption is that 
we don't have any righteousness of our own, but that we receive Christ's righteousness through faith in him and the work that he has done on the cross. And, you know, this idea of Christ taking on our sin and us then taking on his righteousness. We can find this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And it says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so this is that redemption that we are talking about. And you know, this word redemption might not be super familiar to us in this context, but it has this connotation throughout scripture of buying someone out of slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a price that's involved there, right? It's not it's not free, right. um, but there's a price that's involved there. And so, you know, Ephesians 1-7 tells us, in him we have redemption through his blood. His blood is the price that's paid for our sin, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, knowing that you were ransomed, and that's that word redeemed, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so this is our redemption, that we were bought out of our slavery to sin in order to walk in righteousness, the righteousness that Christ provides for us. And the amazing thing is you'd think that this is kind of the end, right? Mm-hmm. We've been redeemed. We uh, no longer have to pay the penalty for our sin, but the story doesn't even end there. Right. And when you were talking, I thought about Revelation seven fourteen and just the idea that it says they have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made mm. them white. Yeah. Right? And yeah, that's what it's saying. This is in Revelation when Jesus comes back for us, right? right. It's not the end. Re- the redemption, the work that he did on the cross, the um, resurrection from the dead, is that's not the end of the story. Hmm. He's coming back. Yes. So that's the next part, restoration. And there's another word called consummation, and we're going to build on that. So, But this is the eternal aspect of the story. Yeah. So soon God will restore this world and dwell with his people. And when this happens, there's going to be no more tears, brokenness, sorrow, death, or sin. And instead, there's just going to be worship of him forever. Yeah, I absolutely love that idea of the truth that God restores everything that was lost Mm -hmm. and everything that was broken. And, you know, you talked about there being no more tears and pain. And I just love this passage from Revelation 21 that points to this new heaven and new earth that you were talking about. And it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He Mm. will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And that just reminds me of in Eden when God lived with his people, right? That, That will be restored to us once again. 
It goes on to say, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes Mm -hmm. and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And man, every time I read that verse, I just get goosebumps. Yeah. And most of the time I tear up too (laughs) when I read it because isn't this just the longing of our hearts? Um, Isn't this just what we all hope for? And I'm glad you read that because it's a good segue or this bridge between the idea of restoration and consummation. Mm -hmm. Because yes, it said he's going to restore, right? In that verse, it says he's going to restore, but then he says he's going to make all things new. Right, yeah. And this idea of consummation is saying he's not going to restore the old Eden, but it's going to be made new and it's going to be even better. And so the word consummate means to bring to a state of perfection and to fulfill. Hmm. And you may hear this word in relation to the union of marriage, which was also seen in the passage that you read, right? Of, right. Um, the Christ and his bride, the church. Yeah. And, um, so this is kind of what Nancy Guthrie talks about in her book, Even Better Than Eden. And she does a wonderful job um, of this. So I we highly recommend reading yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> But she has really enriched this particular aspect of the whole story of scripture for me. And she reminds us that this consummation will include a new Jerusalem, like Joanna wrote. And it's going to be even better than Eden because even though the Garden of Eden was without sin and Adam and Eve had the presence of God with them, there was still this untested righteousness there because there was this opportunity to disobey Mm, Yeah, because of the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which were off limits. But hey, that's an opportunity to disobey. But on this new earth, as Nancy points out, we're not only going to be the image of God, but we're also going to be remade in true righteousness and holiness and knowledge. And there's going to be no possibility for our image, Mm -hmm. that image of God to be marred. And we are going to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and fully content and worshiping Holy, holy, holy. Yeah, and I just, I love that, you know, we talk about how when we are redeemed, right, when we are saved by Jesus Christ, we are now free from the power of sin, Yeah, right? The Holy Spirit gives us power to resist temptation Mm -hmm. and to not fall into sin. But we know that that's still a battle, right? Daily we fight sin hourly we fight sin moment by moment the flesh is still there yes we have this this war that rages between the the new creation and the old man and the beauty of restoration consummation is that when christ returns not only are we free from the power of sin but we are free from the presence of sin man can you imagine that kind of rest and that kind of rejoicing and just that kind of freedom. It's you the know? true Sabbath. <laughs> yes. It's oh, coming. It's yes, coming. the true Sabbath. Absolutely. So, you know, we basically just talked about the gospel, right? This yeah. is the story of the gospel, the story of God's redemption. And, you know, we need to realize that this is one big story, right? It mm-hmm. goes all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And we kind of showed you some parts, right? Some in Genesis, some in the Gospels, and then some in Revelation. But the truth is that this story 
is in all of scripture. So there are hundreds, thousands of smaller stories in the Bible that all point to the one bigger story. And, you know, I think about reading these stories and one that I always like to look to where you can really see this clear presentation of a mini gospel, right? Mm -hmm. A mini redemption story is the book of Ruth. Um, And, you know, when you look at the book of Ruth, you see this family, um, these marriages, what should have been something beautiful. This reflects right creation mm-hmm. um, that, you know, God created marriage and God created um, families and for us to be in community with one another. And he created life. Mm-hmm. But then death comes. Right. And that points back to our fall. Yeah. Um, and this death is a result of sin. Mm-hmm. So in the story, you know, death comes into play and we see Ruth and Naomi and Orpah all become widows. Mm-hmm. And this all points back to that original sin, right? This fall of man that brings about death yeah. in the world. Um, and so, you know, you have this situation that is hopeless. Um, these women without husbands and without any sons, Mm. um, they have no hope in the society that they lived in. Um, they are, they are basically going to be relying on whatever other people's charity, um, Mm -hmm. might provide for them. And they, they have no, no real status in society. Um, and you know, we just, I think that we see that in ourselves, right. In our sinful nature, we know that we have no hope on our own to amount to what God requires of us. We have no hope to save ourselves. But then what happens is that there is what is called a kinsman redeemer. Mm -hmm. And I love that it's actually called a redeemer. You know, you can see this so clearly. But basically, if there was a woman who was widowed, there would be a next of kin of her husband who could then marry her and Mm -hmm. redeem her and her family. And this redeemer comes in the form of Boaz. And Boaz marries Ruth and um, redeems her and redeems Naomi as well, Yeah. right? But ultimately, what does Boaz point to? Boaz points to the true kinsman redeemer, right. who is Jesus Christ. Boaz was the only one who was willing and able to redeem Ruth. And Jesus, being like we said, fully God and fully man, is the only one who is willing and able to redeem us. Only he has sufficient righteousness in order to give that righteousness to us. Only he, also being man, could pay the actual penalty and literally die in order to, to pay that penalty for our death. So as we see Boaz, we have hope of a redeemer who is to come, a redeemer that we now see, right? That Jesus has come and redeemed us. And, you know, in this story, not only is Ruth redeemed, but Naomi's family line is restored. And so we see this restoration that comes through this redeemer. And so, you know, when you see this story in light of the bigger picture, in light of the larger story of scripture, suddenly this one book of the Bible, this one story that maybe just seemed like a pretty cool love story before, now is the story of us. It's a story of our redemption and a greater redemption that is to come. Yeah, I'm really glad you shared that story. And to think that actually Ruth and Boaz is in the genealogy of Jesus, right? So look at Matthew 1. And this is why genealogies are so important. 
Mm-hmm. So if you look at Matthew 1, 5, it says Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And we know that Jesus came um, from that lineage. And yeah. I don't know, that just makes me be in awe of how it truly is this one storyline because in that the fact that God is the author of scripture. Right, and right. Talk about restoration and consummation, right? Greater than what you had. Not yeah. only was their original family restored, but now they are restored and brought into and part of this greater family, yeah. of the family that would bring about the Messiah, the one who would be the ultimate redeemer and restorer. You know, when I see that, when I see all those names, you know, in mm-hmm. in the lineage of Jesus, I'm just always amazed at how God is so intricately involved yeah. in all the details yeah. that everything that happens, right, everything that happens to me, God is not only working it for my good, but somehow it is part of his greater plan of redemption for the whole world. Right. And I don't understand that. Um, and I'm sure that Ruth had no idea <laughs> right. at the time. But just to see, you know, as we can look back over the years and see what a great work God was doing, mm-hmm. I think that can give us hope, you it know, does. when we don't understand what's happening. God is sovereign and God is big enough to be able to work out every single detail and just how it all fits together. It blows my mind, like how it can all be so interwoven. Yeah. But that's the God that we serve. I think that's why it's so important to go back and read the scriptures because it testifies to his faithfulness and Mm -hmm. that he is in the details and that he is sovereign and in control. And that's even in our own lives. And that's a practice that my husband and I like to do is to reflect on God's faithfulness in our lives mm-hmm. and to really just rejoice and say he is trustworthy you right. know even if we don't understand now he is trustworthy mm. so i'm glad we got started talking about how it all points to jesus right the better mm-hmm. redeemer the perfect kinsman redeemer right um and we're going to talk a little bit more explicitly about this and because we're saying from genesis to revelation the story of scripture is pointing to jesus the story of the bible is the story of jesus yeah because he is the promised one who has rescued and redeemed his people and essentially when jesus does come in the new testament he says it about himself he says in luke 24:27 jesus affirmed this he says and beginning with moses and all of the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself hmm Yeah, and it's, you know, I think we see over and over and over again in Scripture where, you know, the New Testament recognizes that all of the Old Testament was preparing for Christ, right? It was all pointing to him. So an example of this is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and following, and it says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. 
So this passage is saying, hey, all of these prophets Mm -hmm. of the Old Testament, they were all prophesying about Jesus Christ, about the sufferings and the glories of Christ to come. And, you know, I love, this is just kind of a side note, but I love how that passage ends, that they they wanted to know when he was going to come, right? This is something that even angels long to look into, that they long to understand. And I just think that that is such a reminder and should call our hearts back to God's word and the beauty of the gospel and the amazing privilege that we have to live in a time when Jesus has come. Mm. And not only has he come, but we have his words, his ministry, his gospel recorded on paper for us. And I think that that's just a reminder that we should be treasuring God's word and, you know, seeking it daily, that this is something that these people and these angels would have just loved to see and were were hoping for and waiting for and longing for. Absolutely. And when you're talking, it reminds me like the Old Testament is just shouting, he is coming, he is coming. Mm -hmm. And the New Testament is saying, he is here, he has come. And just the longing that those in the Old Testament must have felt for this coming Messiah and the, the truth that the law, the prophets, the Psalms, they're all pointing to Christ. And yeah. we get to live in the age where it's like, yes, he has come and he's coming again. Um, it's just so amazing. Yeah. So I don't know about you, but the first time I realized that Jesus is mentioned that it was in Genesis 3.15, kind of, yeah. I know. Jaw dropping. Yeah. <laughs> My jaw literally just dropped. <laughs> yeah. And it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is talking about Jesus. Yeah. It's, oh man. Yeah. And if you want to learn like a fancy little term for this verse, uh, some theologians call it the proto-evangelium. And this, that just means the first gospel, right? Proto is the first and then evangelium. That's like evangelism, right? So it's the first time that we hear the good news. And I I was mind blown when I heard this because it is such a sweet thing to see that as soon as sin enters the world in the very same chapter, chapter, God promises a savior. And you know, I never noticed that until recent years. Yeah. And when I noticed that, it just enhanced it it made it made my view of God bigger. Yeah. You know, a God who had this planned out from even before the foundations of the world exactly. and offers redemption as soon as there is sin. Mm-hmm. What mercy and grace is that? That's a good point. Redemption or the plan of redemption was not plan B for God. Right. It was set before the creation. Yeah. I know that one thing, you know, we have this study at Daily Grace Co. that's called the Amen Study. Yeah. And it tells, it talks about the story of scripture um, from Eden to eternity. So it's, you know, talks about this idea. And one thing that we see quoted in that book a lot is the phrase, Jesus was always the plan. Yeah. Right? He has that. always been the plan for salvation. I love that. And I wanted to just take a few minutes here and read this um, portion of a message. And it's, it's kind of lengthy, but when I 
it's like you said, it's been in recent years. And I think it's been a couple of years since I've heard this message from Tim Keller. But honestly, when I did hear it, it was a time of weeping to realize that Jesus was always the plan and he was always the redeemer. Hmm. So I don't know where you might be when you're listening, but if you're in a safe place and you can close your eyes, just it might be awkward, but bear with me and just listen to this. You may need a tissue. (laughs) So it says, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the much tougher garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who though innocently slain, whose blood cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go into the void. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve. So we, like Jacob, only receive the winds of grace that wake us up in discipline. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and mediates the new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who is struck with the rod of God's justice and now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job. He is the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his friends. Mm. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is a true and better Esther who, did, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one Mm. who didn't just risk his life but gave his life who didn't just say if i perish i perish but said when i perish i'll perish for them to save my people jesus is a true and better jonah who was cast out of the storm so we could be brought in he's the real passover lamb he's the true temple the true prophet the true priest the true king the true sacrifice the true lamb the true bread and honestly, I've just never heard anyone communicate this so as comprehensively and as beautifully as Tim Keller did. So I just wanted to share that with you guys to, and to see that when you guys are going through your re- Bible reading plans, to see Jesus in these stories that that may seem so um, disconnected from one another, but they're not. They're all pointing to Jesus. Yeah, that is, it really is moving to hear all that at one time. Yeah. And it makes me want to go back and read all those stories again, (laughs) you know? With fresh eyes. Yeah, with fresh eyes, with that lens. And, you know, as you're reading through all of this, I was thinking about how scripture is full of what we call types of Christ. Mm, And they are, like you said, these people that point to the true and better, whatever it may be, right? The true and better king, the true and better redeemer, all of these things. And so, you know, throughout scripture, we see these imperfect people. Right. And they they reflect what Christ will do and what Christ will be. But Christ is the better one. Right. Like you said, I think that that's so helpful as we are reading scripture, Mm -hmm. because, you know, sometimes I'll read something and I'll be like, wow, that was really an amazing thing that this person did. But then a chapter later they mess up big time, yeah. right? And so part of me is thinking, well, this really isn't pointing to Jesus, is it? But yes, it is because it gives us the hope that 
all of these things that we see glimpses of and that mm-hmm. we're longing for find their perfect fulfillment in Jesus, right? right? The one who is without sin and who doesn't make mistakes, but goes beyond what these types of Christ have done. Yeah. And it's really helped me to communicate this with my kids, mm-hmm. to not be pointing to these heroes in the Bible who are very imperfect, but yes, like praise God that David had faith and Abraham had faith and um, that God used them to ask them to join into his work of this redemptive history, right? But for me to tell my kids, like, there is a perfect hero. They are pointing Mm -hmm. to the perfect hero who who is the one and who has always been the plan. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we look at this whole story, we need to kind of ask the question of like, so what? You know, what yeah. What are we to do with this? Um, how does knowing this change the way that we approach the Bible and the way that we approach Bible study? And, you know, we kind of alluded to this already, but I think that when we see this story, it really brings the Bible to life in a sense. And we know that scripture already is living and active. So it's not that it brings it to life, but it's that it opens our eyes to to the life that is there, right? Right. And it just, um, it makes it so that every part of scripture is exciting and that it is filled with hope. Um, Even when some parts seem like, I don't understand what's going on. If we can approach it from this lens, it really will change our perspective. There's no wasted verse or frivolous word. (laughs) Yeah. And even when we look at like, I know the classic book that we kind of say, well, you don't want to read that one is Leviticus, right? Okay. All of these laws, like some of this stuff is weird and some of it's bloody and it's hard to read. Yeah. But, you know, if we can look at it in light of this Meta narrative in light of this big story, man, Leviticus is a picture of the fall, yep. isn't it? It is such a picture of our need yep. for salvation. Exactly. You know that we had to do all of these things because we're unclean, because mm-hmm. we're unrighteous. We have to make sacrifices that blood has to be paid right. on our account because of our sin. And none of that was enough, yeah. right? And so that shouldn't just be like, wow, look at these weirdos and what they did. But this should be us seeing, oh my goodness, look at our desperate need. Right. You can't really understand grace without the right. law. Yes, exactly. And so we begin to see it in a different light. You know, another example, as you were reading that, those quotes from Tim Keller, He mentioned Isaac Mm -hmm. and Abraham. You know, this has always just been a story growing up. I just, I just didn't get it. You know, I'm like, God tells Abraham to take his only son, the one that he had waited years and years and years for after Mm -hmm. suffering infertility and all of these issues. And then God promises him a son and gives him the son. And then he tells him to go and sacrifice him Mm -hmm. on a mountain. And I just remember as a kid thinking, what in the world? What kind of God is this? You know? And yeah. I just, I didn't understand mm-hmm. what was happening. But when you look at it in light of the story of scripture, you see that God is showing us what will come, yeah. right? God is showing us that he is the one who actually does sacrifice his only son, that he is the one who does pay that price. And, you know, there are so many different parts of that story that we could talk about oh, from, yeah. from the ram and the and the thorns and all of that kind of stuff that point to the story. But 
you know, it kind of just helps you to see the bigger picture and right. to understand that this should be planting in our hearts a longing for the Savior that is to come. That's a good point, though, because we're not saying that you can't learn from Abraham. Mm-hmm. There's just so much in that account of Abraham um, going up the mountain with Isaac. You know, even little things like he got er- up early in the morning to mm-hmm. obey. Yeah. Um, and thinking, okay, I'm just saying, like, there's just so much from Abraham that we can learn about faith and trusting in the Lord and right. his plan. But so we didn't want to discount that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And there is lots that we can learn. And, you know, Abraham is used in the New Testament as an example of great faith. faith. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when we, when we kind of ask the question, like, why did God even ask him to do this? Yeah. I think that's kind of where we find, even if we don't fully understand, we find somewhat of an answer. Right. <laughs> right. And right. um, in, in that it's showing us what is to come. Yeah. And so, you know, when when I study the Bible now, um, knowing this meta narrative, I try and ask, you know, those four questions. I try to ask myself, where do I see these four things reflected in the text? And I like to write those down. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I see this pointing back to creation or the fall? How do I see it speaking about redemption yeah. and restoration? Um, and you know, I think it's important to realize as we're doing this, because it can kind of get into like, okay, I need to have an answer for every single one. <laughs> Not every passage of scripture is going to illustrate every aspect of this story. Right. Right. So like you said, in or like like we were saying in Leviticus, that's a pretty heavy fall passage, mm-hmm. fall book, you know, and it does point to redemption as we see the sacrifices made and everything. But, you know, we don't yet see the restoration there. Yeah. Um, and so there are different parts of scripture that are going to highlight yeah. different parts of the story. And, you know, it always does kind of point us to this bigger story. Right. But I like to, you know, practically write those down, write out those four categories and yeah. write verses. And, you know, I've been recently trying out some Bible highlighting, which is new for me because <laughs> I have just, I've always been a note taker and not yeah. as much of a highlighter. Plus, I don't like to just highlight and not have a system, right? Because mm-hmm. I'll end up highlighting my whole Bible <laughs> eventually <laughs> if I highlight the verses that stick out or whatever. Right. But so I started kind of color coding a little bit. And what I like to do is I like to use one of my highlighters to point specifically to redemption. And I like to use one of my highlighters to point specifically to like our sinful nature Ooh, that we yeah. see, you know? And so and that's kind of a, like a part of a bigger highlighting system. I like I, that. I highlight God's character in yellow because I think yellow is like glory, <laughs> you know? And I highlight man's fallen nature in orange and because I think of like traffic's mm. best and stuff, like <laughs> warning, caution. <laughs> but uh, I like to kind of use highlighters to point out where I see those things. And little caveat, you know, we're saying that the whole Bible is a story of redemption. So you're not going to highlight the whole Bible. But there are parts where you see maybe a verse that especially is poignant yeah. in pointing that out. And so that's one thing that I like to do there. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to try that because it kind of keeps you tethered to this big story of mm-hmm. the Bible while you're reading the little, um, the smaller books. Right. But yeah, I think for me, it's just realizing that it's one major storyline. It really has changed how I approach the Bible and mm-hmm. reoriented um, how I read. And it's the idea, again, that the Bible is a book about God and not me. Right. And 
that puts me in a posture of studying the scriptures with that in mind that it's about Jesus and his redemptive work. And I realized as I kept doing that and was growing in that and exercising that, I guess, um, that we're actually engaging in this thing called biblical theology. Yeah. So I thought this would be a great time to kind of talk about what exactly biblical theology is. Yeah. Um, And one reason I'm excited about this podcast is that we can use this platform to kind of talk about these academic sort of richer things um, in a more conversational way because we're not seminary students. Oh, scratch that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a seminary student. Um, or a pastor or anything, but to realize that ordinary people like me and like maybe you um, can engage in this thing called biblical theology. Right. So what is it? You may have heard systematic theology, Mm -hmm. um, and that might be more familiar to a lot of us because of really popular works um, like systematic theology by uh, Wayne Grudem. Um, And I just want to stop here and give a funny story about that. Because when I, after I graduated from college, I did a little program called AmeriCorps in Alaska. Uh-huh. And I got plugged into a little great group of young adults. And we were doing a Bible study in someone's house. It was super informal. And I remember one of the guys recommending us go through Grudem's Systematic Theology. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about this book, it's gigantic. Yeah. And so <laughs> needless to say, yeah, <laughs> needless to say, we did not go through the book. But that made me realize that I've always kind of knew about systematic theology and that mm-hmm. it existed. But then in recent years, there's this new thing called biblical theology. And we kind of want to talk about the two a little bit. So Joanna, start us off. Tell us what systematic theology actually is. Yeah, so I think systematic theology is kind of the first type of theology that I was exposed to as yeah. well. But basically, systematic theology is where we take what the whole Bible says about any given topic yeah. and kind of consolidate it. Right. So, for example, with systematic theology, you'll go through different types of theology. So you might talk about eschatology, which is the study of the end times, Mm -hmm. or you might have the theology of the Trinity or theology of Christology, which is a study of Christ. And so what this means is that we are looking at the entire Bible. And we are saying, what does the whole Bible say about this topic? And then systematizing it, right? Yeah. Putting it into categories, consolidating it. This is really helpful because what it does is it helps us to see several different things. It helps us to see how often scripture talks about Mm -hmm. one particular topic. Yeah. It helps us to see how scripture informs other scripture, right? Because that's, you know, a big Bible study principle, what we call hermeneutical principle, is that scripture is the best interpreter of scripture, right? Right. Scripture should always interpret scripture. Because like we said before, the whole Bible is God's word. Mm -hmm. And so if it's all God's word, then it's all going to agree with itself, right? right? So um, it really helps us to see how scripture talks about one topic how scripture interacts with itself, the unity that's in scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really nice to be able to kind of organize it and see it in an orderly way. Right. Um, so taking, it's not it's not creating anything that's not in the Bible. Right. That's important to realize that we're not just making up these ideas. And, you know, sometimes we'll hear a term, like we're going to talk about the Trinity here soon. Mm-hmm. And the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But the concept of the Trinity is in the Bible. Right. And so we take everything that the Bible teaches about the three-in-one God and compile it to form this doctrine. 
Right. That's a great explanation of it. And so it'll answer questions like, what are the attributes of God or what is sin? And like you said, that is answered in many different passages of the Bible, but it brings it into one. Yeah. And it's important to note that systematic theology is not tied to time in the Mm. sense because it's it's atemporal in the sense that it's taking, you know, sin is mentioned all throughout the Bible. Right. And so that is the the major difference between systematic and biblical theology because biblical theology, on the other hand, considers the study of uh, the study of God's word in relation to time. So biblical theology does teach the Bible as one story because it takes into account time. Yeah. For example, how the revelation of Christ unfolds in time, which is kind of what we've been talking about, right? And so this kind of way of approaching it will say, okay, well, what does the book of Isaiah or the book of Hosea contribute to the flow of this developing storyline in the Bible? Mm -hmm. And I really have appreciated this – way of studying the Bible because it really emphasized to me this progressive revelation from the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, that there is this progressive revelation. And so there are benefits to both, um, but we just kind of wanted to talk about um, both because, I mean, either one's new to you or maybe both, but these are just great tools to have when you um, really want to study the Word. Yeah, and the cool thing about biblical theology, there are several big themes, right, in biblical theology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of those might be the themes of the covenant, mm-hmm. covenants, right? right. Um, the temple or the dwelling place of God throughout Scripture. So when Stephanie's talking about them unfolding throughout time, you know, we might look at the covenant that God gave to Adam and to Abraham and right. to Moses and to David, and then seeing kind of how we have this new covenant, right? Mm-hmm. And how how it changes throughout scripture. And like like you said, the unfolding of God's revelation, right? Yeah. Um, that it, it unfolds throughout time. Um, and so that's really helpful to kind of see a progression. And there are these common threads mm-hmm. throughout the entire Bible. And like Stephanie said, both of these kinds of theology are incredibly helpful and they both have a place. Um, and so we don't want to say like one's better than the no. other. I know that when you hear biblical theology, you kind of think, oh, that must be the right one. <laughs> it's biblical. <laughs> but That's not what we're what saying. What it means yeah. is that it's tracing its progression throughout the Bible right. in a temporal, time-bound kind of way. Exactly. It's just a good framework for studying scripture, whether you use one or the other. Yeah. But I really did like the, what you were saying about the covenant because it's using these like symbols that the human authors, like it was significant to them. Yeah. And it just reminds me that God did inspire like over 40 authors, human authors to yeah. write the, the Bible, right? Over 1500 years. I don't know. It's just, mm-hmm. again, it makes me in awe of the word of God. It makes me want to study it more because it's just really a work of God, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's so amazing. So, you know, I think it's important as we kind of wrap up to remember that as we're talking about this story of scripture, as we're talking about this grand meta narrative that is 
overarching throughout all of the Bible, that this story, if we are believers in Christ, this story is also our story. And, you know, I think that it's important that we don't just consider this framework when we're reading God's word, but we consider this framework when we are living our lives, when we are experiencing all the different hardships of life and the victories and the losses and all of these things, you know, we should constantly be hearkened back to creation and the idea that there was a way that it was meant to be, Mm -hmm. right? And that everything that we do is meant to be for God's glory, that we are meant to be in relationship with him. um, And that, you know, when we see things going on in our world, when we see tragedy, that's happening, when we are experiencing suffering in our own lives, that we can look backwards and we can look forward. We can look backwards to the fall and we can grieve the effects of sin. Right. And that should cause us to grieve our own sin, right? To mourn over our own sin. Mm -hmm. But we aren't without hope, right? Because we know that God has redeemed us, that God has sent Christ to redeem his people. And then, you know, in that, in our redemption, it's not just that our sins are forgiven, but that we're promised life, mm-hmm. right? An abundant life. And that abundant life comes to its consummation when Christ returns. And right. I think that that just reminds us to live with an eternal perspective. Right. And that includes in our suffering, right? In our trials. It also includes in the way that we interact with other people, mm-hmm. right? Remembering that there, there is another part to the story, and right. that Jesus is going to return. I think that that, that should impact our prayers, um, mm. our prayers for other people, and, you know, our our prayers for ourselves, the kind of things that we pray for. You know, we should always keep eternity in mind that the story doesn't end here, right. but that there is a, a perfect ending. Yeah, when you were saying that, it reminds me of like when I lost my dad, you know, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I grieved through that and but I came to the point where I realized like, you know, this is a product of sin. Yeah. Like death is a reality because of sin and, and it's okay to grieve with it. It says in Isaiah that our God is acquainted with grief Yeah, and he knows and it's okay to be sad, but there's the good news mm-hmm. that Jesus has redeemed and he is our living hope as it says in first Peter and, and he's coming back and he's going to restore and bring this new earth. So I really liked how you pointed out that we can, this is very applicable to our everyday lives and our stories, whether big or small on a platform or not, it's, it's applicable to our stories, but, but really it's what's more important is his story, right? Mm -hmm. So we fit into his story. Um, And what a gift that is to be part of his story. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you have been encouraged today and that, you know, you can just approach God's word, that you can approach your own lives uh, with new and fresh perspective um, after hearing just the beauty of this story and the beauty of God's work and God's sovereignty throughout all of scripture and throughout all of history, really. Um, hey, if you have enjoyed this podcast, if you've been encouraged, we would love to ask you to just really quickly take about a minute to write us a review on iTunes. It really helps other women be able to find our podcast. Um, and so if you've been encouraged by this ministry, we ask that you would do that um, to, to help and share that with others. 
Thank you so much, ladies, and we will talk to you next Tuesday. 